Hi, my name is Melissa. I'm a compulsive overeater and restrictor. Thank you for asking me to lead. Um, I listened to the podcast, so I feel very honored to be asked. However, to drop out of ego, I'm going to say out loud that I'm not a leader in this program. I'm here to share my experience. Um, I don't know a lot of you in this room, so I'll just do the classic how it was, what happened, and how it is now. Um, I definitely had a ism early on. Um, I remember not having a stop button on certain foods. Um, and I remember some body image issues very early on. I did pick up drinking at 16. I mentioned that here because it's the same soup for me and also... It totally took over my life, so it it held back the other addictions for a while, including my food issues. Um, That made my life completely unmanageable until I got sober in my early 20s. Um, I did not get sober because I thought I had a problem. It's a trend, you'll notice. And I I got sober because my partner was getting sober, and it made sense. I quit smoking at the time and um, as well. And I was in a steady relationship, so my relationship, I also became monogamous. So um, essentially the big tool I had left was all the tools I had before in how to deal with life um, and how to interact with people. And I also just picked up eating again. Um, So what it looks like for me when I'm in my food addiction is I'm a big emotional eater. I'm not a huge binger. I'm terrible at restricting, um, but I just sort of overeat in general. Um, I like an overfull feeling, and it's all emotional food. It's all doughy, gooey, sugary, cheesy, no vegetables on my plate at all. Um, so I ate that way uh, for a while and just headed up the scale. Um, until my, my partner called me on it, which was painful. But I was headed up the scale, like, not even, I just was like, I guess I'm fat. I, like, just didn't even, like, like put together my food and exercise things with my weight. Like, I've always thought of myself as a chubby girl, and I'm just like, I'm chubby. Like, what's, you know? And um, he just, without using the words, just said, like, you're not living life on life's term. Like, you don't get to eat whatever you want and not exercise. Like, that's not what people do. So um, I started to, to diet. I did some commercial dieting. And uh, I did get out of the obese category into the overweight category. And I couldn't get lower. And I couldn't get lower because I didn't give up emotional eating, really. Like, so the way dieting looks for me is like super, super boring, punishing protein and vegetables with nothing on it or super treats like sweet foods. Or like, like I'm the dieter that saves all my points for cookies. Like, I'm the exerciser who trained for and did a half marathon and didn't lose a pound. Like, that's how I look when I'm in my exercise restriction world. Um, and I like to share, you know, a few stories from that. It, it's really the crazy. So for me, like, the my compulsive overeating or my emotional eating is, like, I'm kind of managing in my life. I'm just fat. And, like, I just wasn't going to stop on that, so I'm sure I was headed towards health problems and things. But, like, my restrictive side is the crazy side. It's totally 
behavior, like embarrassing behavior of, of hiding and restricting and just all the insanity around it. You know, like I, uh, I used to buy a pastry in a box and hide it in my desk. And my boss caught me one time sneaking it out of the drawer. And he said, um, did you grow up with a lot of brothers? Like he was, he was trying to figure out why a person would hide food in their desk. Like what compels you to do that? And then like one time I was driving and my fr- I was near our neighborhood and my friend was walking unbeknownst to me. And he said, um, I had a, sorry, I missed an important key factor. I was eating fast food. And he's like, that's the happiest I've ever seen you. You know, like I've had these demoralizing moments, you know. And, um, uh, you know, like sitting in a, eating dinner with my spouse and he had ordered a sweet food and, and like he's talking, but I'm like, can I say foods here? I'm like, is that okay? I'm like, French fries, chocolate cake, French fries, chocolate cake. And he's like talking to me, right? And that's what I'm thinking. And I'm like, do I get a bite? Maybe I can have one. Like, that's what I was doing in my head is all the negotiating. And I'd probably like figure like, okay, a couple of fries and like a bite of the cake, right? And I'm like, yeah, good job. Next day, go back to the same place, get the cake, eat it by myself in the car. Like, that's what it looks like when I'm in the food. Um... As far as life goes, I was completely overwhelmed by life and uh, completely depressed. And I have a sort of a sunny side-up disposition, so it was like at the core. But I just basically just did not like the deal we got. And it's the same deal with food, I thought. It's like the amount of effort that I had to put in to just barely stay afloat. I, I thought it was a raw deal, basically. And um, I learned that's not true in this program, and I'll I'll get to that in a minute. But I just was really, uh, I used the word overwhelmed a lot before program. So you'd think all that crazy behavior got me in here, but it did not. I actually, as part of my, some health stuff, I found out I had some food. They call it allergies. It's not really an allergy. It's like a, um, I just, I don't tolerate certain categories of food very well. And about four years ago, one Friday night, I was upset because I had a stomach ache for like two weeks straight because I could not regulate these foods. I could not eat them in a way that wasn't upsetting my stomach. Didn't consider not eating them, by the way. That wasn't a possibility. Like that was just like, I knew people did that like in somewhere in the side, but I thought, and you know, I was sitting there and Fridays were my treat days. I had some time by myself in the house, so I would like treat myself with these foods. And then my spouse would come home and we'd get other foods. And I had a moment of clarity that like I was treating myself with a stomach ache and that just seemed in a little crazy. Like it cracked through the insanity a little for me. Um, my spouse and I had been having conversations for a couple of years where he would say, you, you might want to look into your food issues. And I'm like, yeah, I, my only problem is you keep talking about it. <laughs> like I thought it was just the battle of the bulge. I had no idea what he was talking about. I just was like, I don't get it. Like why do we keep having this conversation? Um, but as part of that, he had mentioned OA and... Um, I'm the opposite of a procrastinator, so I went to a meeting that Sunday. Um, I live in the Valley. I went to, I think it's Permanent Recovery, Sunday morning at 7.30, big meeting like this. And uh, I felt emotions, which is unusual for me. And uh, somebody after the circle was like, it's so brave. I must have identified as a newcomer. And I bolted. I was like, I'm out. And I cried on the way home, and I was just like, what the... Um, 
And then I came back the next week, and my response was, um, oh, I totally belong here. That was my response. Like, I knew I was with my people and wasn't particularly happy about it. Um, but, you know, I'm a good student, and I jumped into the program. So um, I'll talk about my experience with the program. Oh, good, I didn't get stuck in how it was too long. Um, so my first six months, I would say I got the message that it's me. I'm the problem. I got that message. I'm a recovering know-it-all. I'm a recovering control freak. I'm a recovering fixer. Those are things, those are tools that I use to try to get through life that did not serve me um, most of the time. It's pretty good in a job, and actually my job was the only thing that was thriving (laughs) when I was in my um, ism, when I'm in the food, but... um, For everything else, it just wasn't working very well. And I started to apply the program principles and the tools in those areas in my life and got a lot of recovery. Um, For example, uh, one time my spouse said to me, uh, you know what I've never heard you say? What do you think I should do? Never occurred to me to ask. That's one of the things I learned as a child that's been really helpful, self-sufficiency. But I never even thought I'd ask. So we had a plumbing problem, and I said, what do you think we should do? And guess what? I don't want to be in charge of the plumbing problem. Like, who wants to be in charge of that, right? So I just learned to practice that. Um, Another example would be, like, I have a fight-or-flight reaction to any kind of anger. I grew up in a household where emotions were a waste of time. That's what I was taught. So anytime somebody's emoting something, I get, like, a fight-or-flight. It feels like a big deal. But it's, I've learned it's not a big deal, and so I've learned to kind of override that and just breathe and, like, stay in the conversation. And I find, like... My efforts to diminish somebody else's emotions actually made it worse. They didn't get to feel their emotions. I didn't get to know what they were going on. And sometimes they would fight back against that, right? And so I've had a lot of conversations with people in my life where I actually just leaned into the conversation and overrode this, like, fight or flight, my heart's beating. And they sort of had the arc of the emotions, and it just was like this nice, complete moment where things got resolved without my help, you know? So that was my recovery, like, in all of those areas. Um, I would say, though, after a year in program, I still didn't have food recovery. And it's because I wasn't addressing the restricting side of my um, issues. Um, So I would report my food. I'd do really well for a while. And then, like, I couldn't eat super clean anymore. And and then I would, like, lie about not eating super clean. And then as soon as I lied about it, then then the doors open. And then I'm doing it by myself. That's what happens when I lie about my food. That means I say I got it. And I just told you what it looks like when I got it. It doesn't look pretty. So that was my experience. So I went out and find a new, found a new sponsor. I found one that had what I had and had what I wanted. And uh, she had recovery from restriction, and she passed it on to me. Um, And what it looked like to me was having a lot of freedom of crafting my program and the tools that really helped me address my issues. So I didn't report food for a while. 
Um, it's unusual in this program, but it was really helpful for me for a while. Um, and for me, you know, when I get uncomfortable, I just want to create a rule. That makes me feel safe. I don't actually do the rule. That's why I'm a terrible restrictor. But, like, if I just create the rule, I want to manage and control it, right? And so we'd have a lot of conversations where I'd feel uncomfortable. Maybe I ate something I wasn't super comfortable with. And then I'd call her with this fantastic idea. And she would say, let's try to not manage and control that today. And we did that dance for months. It was like a cognitive like reconditioning, basically, where I would be beating myself up. I'd call her and hand her the stick, and she would set the stick down. And... I know it may not always work for everybody in this program, but for me, like, I needed that. I needed somebody to say, like, it's okay. Like, if it's not in your abstinence, it's okay. And um, my retraining with food was basically eating without guilt. So if it wasn't on my abstinence, I was allowed to eat it. And the not reporting for a little while helped me let go of the guilt. And what happened when I ate without guilt was it was two categories. Either it was, I've been on a diet for a decade, and so I, you, you're in a really bad list, or you take me on a bus to crazy town. And that was the, the actual alcoholic foods. But I had a whole category of foods that were on the bad list that as soon as I started to eat them without guilt, they kind of regulated. They're in my house. I can order them. I don't architect my day and my, my food around getting those items. They regulated for me. But I definitely had categories of food that made eventually my life unmanageable. And unfortunately, I had to eat those foods until I was step one in them. Had to do it. I had to do some eating in this program. I'm abstinent a little over two years, and my last abstinence break was me saying I had pastries on my list since the beginning. They are absolutely an alcoholic food for me. But I was like, I'm going out and buying a box of brownies, and it's happening. I just told my sponsor, I'm like, I, you know, that's happening. Basically, I need to eat. I need the big book says if you think you can turn around and drink like regular men, like have at it. I paraphrase. Um, well, what happened was two weeks. Like, I started out, like, having a brownie, and I threw away the rest, and then, like, it's a little bit more, and this and that. Two weeks later, I'm ditching work in the middle of the day to go to a special store that has something special that's made just for me because it's gluten-free. They didn't have that item, so I got something else that upsets my stomach. I'm sitting outside eating this upset stomach thing, not enjoying it, thinking, oh, my stomach's going to be upset, so now I can go get this other food that upsets my stomach. That's like, it's just a bust of crazy town for me. It just is, and I was able to identify those things for myself by eating without guilt. My abstinence is no secret eating. The way I did that um, when I was not reporting my food is anytime it was secretive behavior, anytime I got that, like, ugh, just told somebody right away. I also do no candy. And I, at this point, have refined it down to no any flour as the first ingredient. And I had a little bit of sugar left available in my abstinence. And um, recently, I've put on my food plan no sugar as the first three ingredients. And what it's done is it's dropped out those little foods that were like look-alike foods for me a little, like a granola bar. Um, 
someone teases me like, what cookies do you have today? Because it's like, a canola bar is kind of like a cookie, you know, in a large, to me, it can be kind of like a cookie. Um, so I recently let go of that and I'm feeling um, very sober. I have six minutes. Um, I do want to talk about my program today, but quickly I do want to talk about Higher Power. Um, this is a spiritual program. I um, am not a capital G person, but got early on. I get it. I get the point of the program. Um, so what I would say about that is in the beginning, I just did the action. I found that the action yields the results regardless of what I think. So I just, like in any other area of my program, I took direction. My sponsor said something, I did it. I wrote, I write an HP letter. Um, I have a God box. I started practicing all the things we do, like meditation. And I, I built a vision of a higher power, thank you, um, that works for me. Um, and I still get a little icky about some of the God items in the program. I, I have trouble saying some of the prayers. They don't feel authentic to me. But I would say that today, I've gone from somebody who definitely cringed anytime somebody mentioned anything spiritual to somebody who paused before we started this meeting to, like, get in alignment. Like, I bring higher power into my life in every aspect as much as I can. And my higher power is either a vision of a river because I feel like when I'm overwhelmed, I'm trying to swim upstream, right? It's a good metaphor for me. Like, that's, that's what happens. When I'm overwhelmed, I'm trying to control against what's going to happen, whether I like it or not. And then, you know, just basic intuition, like guidance towards my best self. And um, it's a big part of my life now. And um, it's just about gathering evidence. For me, I've had four years of doing that and finding that if I tap into and follow that guidance, my life is peaceful. I'm not battling. I don't have to battle anything in my life now. Um, so I wanted to make sure that I, I touched base about that because um, I think it's important for people who don't really believe in the traditional God that you can build a strong um, spiritual program. Um, I have a few minutes, so I'll catch you up. You know, I got I got really so recently really sober, and I made some shifts in my program. I got a new sponsor. I added some some items that I talk about, and you know what's coming up for me right now is I've tapped into this well below all the stuff below my stuff. Like when we get really sober, we start to I think see ourselves really clearly. And what's coming up for me right now is insecurity. And I feel like I have a lot of bravado in life. Like, I go through, I'll talk to anybody. I was always the one that would talk to any boy, give a presentation in front of 200 people. Like, I have a lot of bravado. But what I've discovered is that I think even since a child, like, a lot of the, the things that I've developed in my personality that I've been feeling uncomfortable with lately are because I don't really like myself. Like, if somebody likes me, I think I've just done a good job fooling you, basically. And, like, I'm a chameleon. I'm a chameleon. So, like, I just think, oh, good, I read you properly. 
essentially and it's not a conscious thought but it's an it's a subconscious thought that like and I've had a lot of things lately where I walk away I share hangover I'll share and then I'll be like oh my god and it's like or um, I have a conversation with a friend and I feel like I took up 80% of it and I feel really guilty I have like a lot of things that are coming up for me and it's because I'm being my authentic self and it's really uncomfortable it's really uncomfortable for me and um so I have some new trends where, like, I'm, my goal is to bring my sponsor in when it's ugly. I like to fix it, then let you in and tell you what a good job I did. <laughs> so that's one goal. And then the other goal is when I'm talking, I try to picture my spouse, my sister, my mom, and, like, a best friend. And, like, maybe my sponsor, like, at the table. Because I got to tell you, I speak different languages sometimes. I'll talk to you and my sponsor very differently than I might talk to my spouse or a friend who's not in program. And part of my goal of gaining true self-esteem and true authenticity to to heal that is to bring those lives together. Um, and really work that part of a program. I picked up another um, program. I started a new job, and they really trigger me. And it's because they have actual feedback, <laughs> and they have good feedback. And I'm not used to getting that. I'm kind of an overachiever, and people, I usually just, like, overwhelm you, and you're like, good job. You know, it's, like, faster and better than you expected, you know. But they're high achievers, and I'm getting feedback, and I freaked out. I could not take it. I was super uncomfortable. Um, and it propelled me to start looking into a different program as well. Um, so I think I'm almost out of time. So um, I would like to wrap that up now and just say, like, thank you so much for asking me to be of service. It's a pleasure to be here. This is the time for questions. Oh, wait, no. Is that it? Yeah. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions I shared with you today are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Hi, Ashley. Yeah, good to see you. Um, the question was to explain what a God box is. So, my understanding of a God box is it's a tool that we use in the program. It's literally a box, and some people decorate it, some people have meaning around it, but essentially, you write in something that you're holding on to and then you fold it up and put it in the box as a symbol of literally handing it over. Yeah, hi. Hi, right, thanks. Um, I heard you mention that you had a, like, some kind of flight reaction to anger, possibly conflict. Um, are there any of the tools or steps that help you deal with that? Yeah, thanks. Uh, The question is talking about fight or flight uh, response to conflict and what tools I may use. Um, I would say the number one tool for that for me is pausing. Um, And pausing for me comes from meditation. I 
meditate. I do have a morning practice that includes meditation. And sometimes it's 20 minutes and sometimes it's two minutes, depending on where I am. Um, however, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes the meditator who, like, didn't hear a word that the person said because my brain's like, oh, you know, and uh, I heard something like meditation isn't about um, getting a quiet mind but about being present. And so I really practice, like, letting the, the thoughts float by like a cloud. And that essentially allows me to have a second or 30 seconds to pause and not react. And then when I don't react, I can then realize I'm not really in danger. This is not that big of a deal. Um, or politely get myself out of the situation if I know I'm getting riled and I just can't handle it. So, for example, I was talking... I, I have trouble with criticism, as, we, as I've mentioned, and I was talking with somebody yesterday about something that I did that I was, like, upset and embarrassed about, and they started analyzing it. And I could tell, like, I felt all my emotions kicking up, and I just was able to say, like, um, I, just, I, I, can't, I can't talk about this right now. Let's, let's talk about something else, you know, and, like, change the subject. But it also, most of the time, it's just like, I'm fine. The person's just having emotions around me. And, like, it's, so I guess the, the last thing I'd say on it, a little long-winded, is um, evidence that when I do that, I'm okay. That, like, when I stick around and let the person be, just be, have an emotion, that, like, I'm okay. It actually turns out way better because they had the emotion. I learned more about them. They found resolution with it. And it was this nice arc and this nice experience that I would have missed out on. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about, I love that you were talking about how you see yourself very self-sufficient and mm-hmm. you have to control everything and mm-hmm. don't need help. So with that, um, can you talk a little bit about, it must have been hard to make outreach calls and things like that, follow mm-hmm. direction. I would imagine coming from that. Can you talk, I know you said you build evidence, but there was, a, was there more than that that helped you uh, reach out? Or do, you use, do you use it on a lot, or is it difficult to make outreach calls and things like that? Maybe you talk a little more about that. Yeah, sure. Uh, so to summarize, I think the question was about being really self-sufficient and independent. And how did I um, learn to apply the program with that? So I would say that working the steps and uh, helped me realize that I'm the problem in the situation. I think I just really, it was kind of foundation shattering, honestly, for, in a good way for me. Um, that I really noticed that I had a part. And so in a way, like in that part of my life, I think I was um, sort of in a humble position where when it comes to food and when it comes to interacting with other people, I don't know what, I don't trust myself to do it properly. And so I just really... Um, understood that I think and, and had some willingness to take direction on that sense um, 
I would say as far as outreach, I did have that feeling in the beginning. And I had multiple people say, like, no, no, you're helping me. Um, you're not you're not bothering me. And I said, I think to, like, one of my first sponsors, um, I feel like I could talk for an hour about what's going on. And she's like, okay, talk for an hour. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and I've never done that. But I think just people, like, asking the question and being people being generous, and then also receiving outreach calls. I'm all. I always feel better after I answer a call. So again, like, but like just practicing. I think it's like taking direction and then noticing like, oh, that worked. Um, I'm getting better at phone calls now. I use text quite a bit. It's more convenient for me. Um, just being a busy person and a little self-centered about my time, um, I can sort of text whenever. I don't know if you like voice memos. They're probably like everybody knows about them, but I've recently discovered them and I'm obsessed because you get it's it's a controlled way to have a conversation because you can hear their voice and you can talk, but you only have to like listen to it <laughs> like at the right time. So I just find tools that work for me. As far as being you know self-sufficient, I would say um, I do have a hard time letting it go. And I so for me, there's a line between taking action and taking over. And sometimes I like to pretend I don't know that line, but I know the line. Like you, you can feel it. And it's it's uh, the way I I help um, identify that is like, am I in the results? Right. So like, I'm very action oriented. You give me a task to do, like I'll get it done. You know, check. Um, I get what's the army thing like you we get done more done before breakfast than most people like that's the way I am I'm just very action oriented but um, as soon as I'm trying to affect the results that's when I stop I hope that answered it okay yeah in the back yeah oh thank you yeah, so um, be before I repeat, I, I actually got sober without a program, um, and I quit smoking without a program. I heard you mention the, sober, the, the beverage program. That's why I didn't learn any more tools and picked up eating, by the way, and I think it speaks to what my true addiction is. But I, the question um, that's applicable that I hear is about being a chameleon in my own uh, personal relationship. Um, I think, honestly, a little, yeah. I mean, we were we moved around a lot, and we were very self-sufficient for a, like we were a, a, just the two of us a lot because we moved um, in the first years of our lives together, and so um, I very much separated my personal relationship with my work situation and with my family, and. Um, we have a pretty relaxed relationship in the sense that, like, I don't force him to do stuff he doesn't want to do. So if he doesn't want to go on a family vacation, like, I don't want to pay, like, I don't want him there if he doesn't want to be there. So, like, my family knows him and they have a relationship, but, like, we're not really super embedded in our family. We're the only ones in California. We don't do holidays together. So it is separate. I've gotten better about communicating to both sides. So it's really um, an open conversation. Um, but it is an area that needs improvement. So I have 
I now have capacity for friends in this because I work this program. I did not have that before. Um, but I have best friends that I talk to or text daily that have never met my spouse. So nobody comes over to my house. It's a safe little space. I've literally had one friend visit my house. I'm just being honest with you. So it's, a, it's something that I've identified as um, an unusual thing that I do. And I think it's just to create these safe spaces for myself. Um, uh, so it's a, it, that's a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the question is, how do I work step three in particular because of my relationship with the lowercase g? Um, I say step one through three every day. Um, sometimes I've gotten on my knees for step three, which it's very, I think there's a chemical reaction sometimes when we hold certain body positions. Like they say if you smile, you actually get happier because it kicks off endorphins. Like you don't have to be happy, but you smile and then chemically it happens. You, I cannot be in my ego when I'm on my knees. Like it physically kicks off something. Um, so I do that when I'm really in ego. But I've taken that now beyond my morning routine and I just, I ask for guidance in the morning on my food on my conversations, on specific things that are I know are going to come up that day. And if I feel like for some reason something's going to get a little wonky or be difficult, um, I pause and ask. I try to bring... I try to bring that entity, like that guidance, into my daily life as much as possible. Um, and it's just about like taking a moment and stepping out of it for a second and saying like, okay, what 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 feels peaceful? Um, and then if I do get out of it where I'm churning about something, um, I usually talk to somebody about it because outing it is a way of of um, Shining is like shining a light on it. And shining a light on it, to me, is like bringing higher power in. It's not the way I used to be, which is like head in the sand. So if I talk about it, if I bring it out, that's bringing, you know, higher power into it so I can get guidance. I don't know if that helps. Thank you. Uh, you talk a lot about uh, the other issues of control, and uh, uh, can you talk a little bit about what uh, the fourth step and the fifth step were like for you? Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, he, I was asked about to talk about fourth and fifth step. Um, I think that's really where the foundation shattering happened for me. So um, I did the fourth step about a, uh, uh, maybe nine months to a year into program. And I learned a lot about myself. Thank you. Um, and, you know, what came out, essentially, we were just writing on defects and then, like, where it comes up in, in my life. And that is, what helped me about the fourth step was I was able to name it. So then I could see it when it was happening. So I could pause and say, like, oh, I'm trying to fix. Like, that's why I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> like, oh, I feel like an, an overwhelmed is a flag word for me because I don't feel it very often anymore, but it'll be, oh, I'm trying to control the outcome. 
That's why I'm uncomfortable. So that's where the fourth step was really helpful for me. One of the interesting things that came out of it that I wasn't aware of until I started writing about it was white lies. I didn't realize how many little white lies I used to tell. And what I do is, like, I tell you what you want to hear so I don't have to get your side of it. <laughs> so it's like, I don't want your opinion. I don't, like, and it could be nothing. And I had this realization, um, I'll tell a really short story, where my um, guy and I were going to go to a sporting event, and it maybe was going to rain, and, we, and you couldn't have umbrellas, so we had one poncho. And he was just, I was like, oh, I'll just run in and get another poncho. And he said, like, okay. Don't get it if it's more than $4 because it just doesn't matter. We don't really, it's like, we don't really need it, you know? And I was like, sure. So I go in, it's seven fifty. I buy it. And then later, he's like, hey, how much was that poncho? And I was like, three fifty. And it's like, he would never get mad at me about that, but I just don't want to have the conversation, you know? And like, I do a lot of avoiding in life, and that was one of the big techniques I did. Um, so I don't really do that anymore, and if I do, I catch myself. But that was one that um, really came up for me. But I, I say, like, controlling... Um, Fixing all of those stuff have generally be re- been relieved in the most part. I think the perfectionism is the only thing that I still say in seven step every day, and it does not go away. It comes up every day, and I think that is that self esteem issue that I'm talking about. I haven't really resolved what's below that, so it still comes up every day for me. Like just a few minutes, probably. Is that it? One more. Okay. Yep. I was interested in um, your discussion about your relationship with uh, sugar mm-hmm. because it sounds like you um, changed your abstinence with regards to sugar over the course of your sobriety. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that, especially with yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Uh, so the question was about my relationship with sugar and how it's changed in my abstinence. Um, my abstinence has shifted quite a bit. Actually, when I um, started with the, my sponsor that helped me with restricting, she actually made me stop changing my abstinence because we counted and I had changed it 20 times in the first year. Um, right, I like to make rules. So um, we didn't do that for a while. But originally it was no candy because that's like crack. I never eat it to enjoy it. And then like pastries because pastries is like my go-to thing. And... Um, Really, that cut out most sugar that I liked. I just had, like, ice cream left, really, and I don't eat dairy, and so I had to go get it specially, and, like, I didn't really like it that much, so it wasn't really big for me. It didn't feel big. Recreational sugar didn't feel big to me at the time. Um, But I don't keep it in my house because it calls to me a little, um, and that was my relationship with it for a while. Um, But then what happened is... a while or like this year, essentially, I had noticed I was gaining a little bit of weight. And, you know, we, all, we read the, the abstinence definition. It's a flag. And I knew that there were some things in my food I wasn't exactly addressing. And I needed to switch sponsors to hear the message about that. I love my sponsor who helped me with restrictions. She's amazing. There's no issues there. I just sometimes you don't hear the message from people sometimes. And I just became really willing to address it because I could tell I was still using food a little bit to soothe. Um, My snacks would be 
like, I'm really not going to start between lunch and dinner, but, like, I really look forward to that snack, and it was always, like, a granola bar, and it never really made me feel good. And I had already flagged that, like, I couldn't keep ice cream in the house or the, the you know, the dairy-free stuff. And I think for me, it's like everything else with every other thing on my abstinence. I just, the more sobriety I get, the more I want. I like this feeling. And, um, thank you, I hear that. I just became, I become more and more willing to just address. I don't come here for fun. I like you guys. It takes up a lot of time. But, like, I don't come here because I want to. I come here because I need to be here. And I'm not here to BS myself or you or my sponsor. And, like, there was a little bit of BS left in my program. And, like, look, like, the granola bars is definitely part of that. And the sugar was part of that. Yeah. I think that's it, right?